0: Chapter Four of Out of Time's Abyss. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lucy LaFarro. Out of Time's Abyss by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter Four The farther the group progressed, the more barbaric and the more sumptuous became the decorations. Hides of leopard and tiger predominated, apparently because of their more beautiful markings, and decorative skulls became more and more numerous. Many of the latter were mounted in precious metals, and set with coloured stones and priceless gems, while thick upon the hides that covered the walls were golden ornaments, similar to those worn by the girl, and those which had filled the chests he had examined in the storeroom of Fosh leading the Englishman to conviction that all such were spoils of war or theft, since each piece seemed made for personal adornment, while in so far as he had seen, no wieroo wore ornaments of any sort. And also, as they advanced, the more numerous became the wieroos moving hither and thither within the temple. Many now were the solid red robes, and those that were slashed with blue, a veritable hive of murderers. At last the party halted in a room in which were many wieroos who gathered about Bradley, questioning his captors, and examining him and his apparel. One of the party accompanying the Englishman spoke to a wieroo that stood beside a door, leading from the room. "'Tell him who speaks for Luata,' he said that Foshbaosaj we could not find, but that in returning we found this creature within the temple, hiding. It must be the same that Foshbaosaj captured in the Stolu country during the last darkness. Doubtless, he who speaks for Luata would wish to see and question this strange thing. The creature addressed turned and slipped through the doorway, closing the door after it but first depositing its curved blade upon the floor without its post was immediately taken by another and bradley now saw that at least twenty such guards loitered in the immediate vicinity the doorkeeper was gone but for a moment and when he returned he signified that bradley's party was to enter the next chamber but first each of the wieroos removed his curved weapon and laid it upon the floor, the door was swung open, and the party now reduced to Bradley and five wieroos was ushered across the threshold into a large, irregularly shaped room in which a single giant wieroo whose robe was solid blue, sat upon a raised dais. The creature's face was white with the whiteness of a corpse, its dead eyes entirely expressionless its cruel thin lips tight drawn against yellow teeth in a perpetual grimace upon either side of it lay an enormous curved sword similar to those with which some of the other wieroos had been armed but larger and heavier constantly its claw-like fingers played with one or the other of these weapons The walls of the chamber as well as the floor were entirely hidden by skins and woven fabrics. Blue predominated in all the colorations. Fastened against the hides were many pairs of wieroo wings, mounted so that they resembled long black shields. Upon the ceiling were painted in blue characters a bewildering series of hieroglyphics, and upon pedestals Set against the walls, or standing out well within the room, were many human skulls. As the wieroos approached the figure upon the dais, they leaned far forward, raising their wings above their heads, and stretching their necks as though offering them to the sharp swords of the grim and hideous creature. "O thou who speakest for Luata!' exclaimed one of the party, we bring you the strange creature that Foshbalsoj captured and brought thither at thy command. So this then was the godlike figure that spoke for divinity. This arch-murderer was the Caspakian representative of God on earth. His blue robe announced him the one and the seeming humility of his minions the other. For a long minute he glared at Bradley. THEN HE BEGAN TO QUESTION HIM, FROM WHENCE HE CAME, AND HOW, THE NAME AND DESCRIPTION OF HIS NATIVE COUNTRY, AND A HUNDRED OTHER QUERIES. ARE YOU KOSATALU? THE CREATURE ASKED. BRADLEY REPLIED THAT HE WAS, AND THAT ALL HIS KIND WERE, AS WELL AS EVERY LIVING THING IN HIS PART OF THE WORLD. CAN YOU TELL ME THE SECRET? ASKED THE CREATURE. Bradley hesitated and then, thinking to gain time, replied in the affirmative, "What is it demanded the wieroo, leaning far forward and exhibiting every evidence of excited interest. Bradley leaned forward and whispered, "It is for your ears alone. I will not divulge it to the others, and then only on condition that you carry me and the girl I saw." "'in the place of the yellow door, "'near to that of Fosh Balsosh, "'back to her own country. "'The thing rose in wrath, "'holding one of its swords above its head. "'Who are you to make terms for him "'who speaks for Luata?' it shrilled. "'Tell me the secret or die where you stand.' "'And if I die now, the secret goes with me,' "'Bradley reminded him. "'Never again,' "'Will you get the opportunity to question another of my kind "'who knows the secret? "'Anything to gain time "'to get the rest of the wieroos from the room "'that he might plan some scheme for escape "'and put it into effect.' "'The creature turned upon the leader of the party "'that had brought Bradley. "'Is the thing with weapons?' it asked. "'No,' was the response. "'Then go.' BUT TELL THE GUARD TO REMAIN CLOSE BY, COMMANDED THE HIGH ONE. THE wieroos alarmed AND WITHDREW, CLOSING THE DOOR BEHIND THEM. HE WHO SPEAKS FOR Luata GRASPED A SWORD NERVOUSLY IN HIS RIGHT HAND. AT HIS LEFT SIDE LAY THE SECOND WEAPON. IT WAS EVIDENT THAT HE LIVED IN CONSTANT DREAD OF BEING ASSASSINATED. THE FACT THAT HE PERMITTED NONE WITH WEAPONS WITHIN HIS PRESENCE and that he always kept two swords at his side, pointed to this. Bradley was racking his brain to find some suggestion of a plan whereby he might turn the situation to his own account. His eyes wandered past the weird figure before him. They played about the walls of the apartment, as though hoping to draw inspiration from the dead skulls and the hides and the wings, and then they came back to the face "'of the Wiru God, now working in anger. "'Quick!' screamed the Thing. "'The secret!' "'Will you give me and the girl our freedom?' insisted Bradley. "'For an instant the Thing hesitated, and then it grumbled, "'Yes!' "'At the same instant Bradley saw two hides upon the wall "'directly back of the dais, separate and a face appear in the opening.' No change of expression upon the Englishman's countenance betrayed that he had seen aught to surprise him, though surprised he was, for the face in the aperture was that of the girl he had but just left hidden beneath the hides in another chamber. A white and shapely arm now pushed past the face into the room, and in the hand, tightly clutched, was the curved blade, smeared with blood. "'that Bradley had dropped beneath the hides at the moment he had been discovered "'and drawn from his concealment. "'Listen, then,' said Bradley, in a low voice to the Wieroo, "'you shall know the secret of Kossatalu as well as do I, "'but none other may hear it. "'Listen close. "'I will whisper it in your ear.' "'He moved forward and stepped upon the dais.' The creature raised its sword ready to strike at the first indication of treachery, and Bradley stooped beneath the blade and put his ear close to the gruesome face. As he did so, he rested his weight upon his hands, one upon either side of the wieroo's body, his right hand upon the hilt of the spare sword lying at the left of him who speaks for Luata. THIS, THEN, IS THE SECRET OF BOTH LIFE AND DEATH, HE WHISPERED, AND AT THE SAME INSTANT HE GRASPED THE wieroo BY THE RIGHT WRIST, AND WITH HIS OWN RIGHT HAND SWUNG THE EXTRA BLADE IN A SUDDEN, VICIOUS BLOW AGAINST THE CREATURE'S NECK, BEFORE THE THING COULD GIVE EVEN A SINGLE CRY OF ALARM. THEN, WITHOUT WAITING AN INSTANT, BRADY LEAPT PAST THE DEAD GOD AND VANISHED BEHIND THE HIDES THAT HAD HIDDEN THE GIRL. Wide-eyed and panting, the girl seized his arm. Oh, what have you done? she cried. He who speaks for Luata will be avenged by Luata. Now, indeed, must you die. There is no escape, for even though we reached my own country, Luata can find you out. Bosh, exclaimed Bradley, and then, But you were going to knife him yourself. Then I alone should have died, she replied. "'Bradley scratched his head. "'Neither of us is going to die,' he said. "'At least not at the hands of any god. "'If we don't get out of here, though, we'll die right enough. "'Can you find your way back to the room where I first came upon you in the temple?' "'I know the way,' replied the girl. "'But I doubt if we can go back without being seen. "'I came hither because I only met wieroos who knew that I am supposed now to be in the temple.' BUT YOU COULD GO ELSEWHERE WITHOUT BEING DISCOVERED. BRADLEY'S INGENUITY HAD COME UP AGAINST A STONE WALL. THERE SEEMED NO POSSIBILITY OF ESCAPE. THEY WERE IN A SMALL ROOM WHERE LAY A LITTER OF RUBBISH, TORN BITS OF CLOTH, OLD HIDES, PIECES OF FIBER ROPE. IN THE CENTER OF THE ROOM WAS A CYLINDRICAL SHAFT WITH AN OPENING IN ITS FACE. BRADLEY KNEW IT FOR WHAT IT WAS here the arch fiend dragged his victims and cast their bodies into the river of death far below the floor about the opening in the shaft and the sides of the shaft were clotted thick with a dried dark brown substance that the englishman knew had once been blood the place had the appearance of having been a veritable shambles an odour of decaying flesh permeated the air The Englishman crossed to the shaft and peered into the opening. All below was dark as pitch, but at the bottom he knew was the river. Suddenly an inspiration and a bold scheme leapt to his mind. Turning quickly, he hunted about the room until he found what he sought, a quantity of the rope that lay strewn here and there. With rapid fingers he unsnarled the different lengths, The girl helping him, and then he tied the ends together until he had three ropes about seventy-five feet in length. He fastened these together at each end, and without a word secured one of the ends about the girl's body beneath her arms. "'Don't be frightened,' he said at length, as he led her toward the opening in the shaft. "'I'm going to lower you to the river, and then I'm coming down after you. When you are safe below,' "'Give two quick jerks upon the rope. "'If there is danger there, and you want me to draw you up into the shaft, jerk once. "'Don't be afraid. It is the only way.' "'I am not afraid,' replied the girl. "'Rather haughtily,' Bradley thought, "'and herself climbed through the aperture, "'and hung by her hands, waiting for Bradley to lower her. "'As rapidly as was consistent with safety,' The man paid out the rope. When it was about half out, he heard loud cries and wails suddenly arise within the room they had just quitted. The slaying of their god had been discovered by the wieroos. A search for the slayer would begin at once. Lord, would the girl never reach the river? At last, just as he was positive that searchers were already entering the room behind him, there came two quick tugs at the rope instantly bradley made the rest of the strands fast about the shaft slipped into the black tube and began a hurried descent toward the river an instant later he stood waist deep in water beside the girl impulsively she reached toward him and grasped his arm a strange thrill ran through him at the contact but he only cut the rope from about her body and lifted her to the little shelf at the river's side how can we leave here she asked "'by the river,' he replied. "'But first I must go back to the blue place of Seven Skulls "'and get the poor devil I left there. "'I'll have to wait until after dark, though, "'as I cannot pass through the open stretch of river "'in the temple gardens by day.' "'There is another way,' said the girl. "'I have never seen it, "'but often I have heard them speak of it, "'a corridor that runs beside the river "'from one end of the city to the other. "'Through the gardens,' It is below ground. If we can find an entrance to it, we can leave here at once. It is not safe here, for they will search every inch of the temple and the grounds. Come, said Bradley, we will have a look for it anyway. And so saying, he approached one of the doors that opened onto the skull-paved shelf. They found the corridor easily, for it paralleled the river, separated from it only by a single wall. It took them beneath the gardens and the city, always through inky darkness. After they had reached the other side of the gardens, Bradley counted his steps until he had retraced as many as he had taken coming down the stream. But though they had to grope their way along, it was a much more rapid trip than the former. When he thought he was about opposite the point at which he had descended from the blue place of Seven Skulls, he sought and found a doorway leading out onto the river, and then Still in the blackest darkness he lowered himself into the stream and felt up and down upon the opposite side of the little shelf and the ladder. Ten yards from where he had emerged he found them, while the girl waited upon the opposite side. To ascend to the secret panel was the work of but a minute. Here he paused and listened, lest a wieroo might be visiting the prison in search of him or the other inmate, but no sound came from the gloomy interior. Bradley could not but muse upon the joy of the man on the opposite side, when he should drop down to him with food, and a new hope for escape. Then he opened the panel and looked into the room. The faint light from the grating above revealed the pile of rags in one corner, but the man lay beneath them. He made no response to Bradley's slow greeting. The Englishman lowered himself to the floor of the room and approached the rags. Stooping he lifted a corner of them. Yes, there was a man asleep. Bradley shook him. There was no response. He stooped lower, and in the dim light examined Antak. Then he stood up with a sigh. A rat leapt from beneath the coverings and scurried away. Poor devil, muttered Bradley. He crossed the room to swing himself to the perch, preparatory to quitting the blue place of Seven Skulls forever. Beneath the perch he paused. I'll not give them the satisfaction, he growled. Let them believe that he escaped. Returning to the pile of rags, he gathered the man into his arms. It was difficult work raising him to the high perch and dragging him through the small opening and thus down the ladder. But presently it was done, and Bradley had lowered the body into the river and cast it off. Goodbye, old Top, he whispered. A moment later he had rejoined the girl and hand in hand they were following the dark corridor upstream toward the farther end of the city. She told him that the wieroo seldom frequented these lower passages, as the air here was too chill for them, but occasionally they came, and as they could see quite as well by night as by day, they would be sure to discover Bradley and the girl. "'If they come close enough,' she said, "'we can see their eyes shining in the dark.' They resemble dull splotches of light. They glow, but do not blaze like the eyes of the tiger or the lion. The man could not but note the very evident horror with which she mentioned the creatures. To him they were uncanny, but she had been used to them for a year almost, and probably all her life she had either seen or heard of them constantly. Why do you fear them so? he asked. It seems more than any ordinary fear of the harm they can do you. She tried to explain, but the nearest he could gather was that she looked upon the wieroo almost as supernatural beings. There is a legend current among my people that once the wieroo were unlike us, only in that they possessed rudimentary wings. They lived in villages in the Galu country. And while the two peoples often warred, they held no hatred for one another. In those days each race came up from the beginning, and there was great rivalry as to which was the higher in the scale of evolution. The Wieroo developed the first Kosatalu, but they were always male. Never could they reproduce women. Slowly they commenced to develop certain attributes of the mind, which they considered placed them upon a still higher level, and which gave them many advantages over us, seeing which they thought only of mental development, their minds became like stars and the rivers, moving always in the same manner, never varying. They called this tasad, which means doing everything the right way, or, in other words, the wieroo way. If foe or friend, right or wrong, stood in the way of Tassad, then it must be crushed. Soon the Galus and the lesser races of men came to hate and fear them. It was then that the Weiris decided to carry Tassad into every part of the world. They were very warlike and very numerous, although they had long since adopted the policy of slaying all those among them whose wings did not show advanced development. It took ages for all this to happen. Very slowly came the different changes. But at last the wieroos had wings they could use. But, by reason of always making war upon their neighbours, they were hated by every creature of Kaspak, for no one wanted their tassard, and so they used their wings to fly to this island when the other races turned against them and threatened to kill them all. So cruel had they become, and so bloodthirsty, that they no longer had hearts that beat with love or sympathy. But their very cruelty and wickedness kept them from conquering the other races, since they were also cruel and wicked to one another, so that no Wiru trusted another. Always were they slaying those above them, that they might rise in power and possessions, until at last came the more powerful than the others, with a Tazad all his own. HE GATHERED ABOUT HIM A FEW OF THE MOST TERRIBLE wieroos, AND AMONG THEM THEY MADE LAWS WHICH TOOK FROM ALL BUT THESE FEW wieroos EVERY WEAPON THEY POSSESSED. NOW their TAZAD HAS REACHED A HIGH PLANE AMONG THEM. THEY MAKE MANY WONDERFUL THINGS THAT WE CANNOT MAKE. THEY THINK GREAT THOUGHTS, NO DOUBT, AND STILL DREAM OF GREATNESS TO COME. BUT THEIR THOUGHTS AND THEIR ACTS ARE REGULATED BY AGES OF CUSTOM. They are all alike, and they are most unhappy." As the girl talked, the two moved steadily along the dark passageway beside the river. They had advanced a considerable distance when there sounded faintly from far ahead the muffled roar of falling water, which increased in volume as they moved forward, until at last it filled the corridor with a deafening sound. Then the corridor ended in a blank wall but in a niche to the right was a ladder leading aloft, and to the left was a door opening onto the river. Bradley tried the ladder first, and, as he opened it, he felt a heavy spray against his face. The little shelf outside the doorway was wet and slippery. The roaring of the water tremendous. There could be but one explanation. They had reached a waterfall in the river, and if the corridor actually terminated here, Their escape was effectually cut off, since it was quite evidently impossible to follow the bed of the river and ascend the falls. As the latter was the only alternative, the two turned toward it, and, the man first, began the ascent, which was through a well similar to that which had led him to the upper floors of the temple. As he climbed, Bradley felt for openings in the sides of the shaft but he discovered none below fifty feet. The first he came to was a jar, letting a faint light into the well. As he paused, the girl climbed to his side, and together they looked through the crack into a low-sealed chamber, in which were several Galu women, and an equal number of hideous little replicas of the full-grown wieroos with which Bradley was not quite familiar. He could feel the body of the girl pressed close to his tremble, as her eyes rested upon the inmates of the room, and involuntarily his arm encircled her shoulders, as though to protect her from some danger which he sensed without recognizing. "'Poor things,' she whispered. "'This is their horrible fate, to be imprisoned here beneath the surface of the city with their hideous offspring, whom they hate as they hate their fathers.' A wieroo keeps his children thus hidden until they are full grown, lest they be murdered by their fellows. The lower rooms of the city are filled with many such as these. Several feet above was a second door, beyond which they found a small room, stored with food in wooden vessels. A grated window in one wall opened above an alley, and through it they could see that they were just below the roof of the building. Darkness was coming and at Bradley's suggestion they decided to remain hidden here until after dark, and then to ascend to the roof and reconnoiter. Shortly after they had settled themselves, they heard something descending the ladder from above. They hoped that it would continue on down the well, and fairly held their breath as the sound approached the door to the storeroom. Their hearts sank as they heard the door open, and from between cracks in the vessels behind which they hid saw a yellow-slashed wieroo enter the room. Each recognized him immediately, the girl indicating the fact of her own recognition by a sudden pressure of her fingers on Bradley's arm. It was the wieroo of the yellow slashing, whose abode was the place of the yellow door in which Bradley had first seen the girl. The creature carried a wooden bowl which it filled with dried food from several of the vessels. Then it turned and quit the room. Bradley could see through the partially open doorway that it descended the ladder. The girl told him that it was taking the food to the women and the young below, and that while it might return immediately, the chances were that it would remain for some time. "'We are just below the place of the yellow door,' she said. "'It is far from the edge of the city.' so far that we may not hope to escape if we ascend to the roofs here i think replied the man that of all the places in Uo, this will be the easiest to escape from anyway i want to return to the place of the yellow door and get my pistol if it is there it is still there replied the girl i saw it placed in a chest where he keeps the things he takes from his prisoners and victims good exclaimed bradley "'Now come quickly,' and the two crossed the room to the well "'and ascended the ladder a short distance to its top, "'where they found another door that opened into a vacant room, "'the same in which Bradley had first met the girl. "'To find the pistol was a matter of but a moment's search "'on the part of Bradley's companion, "'and then, at the Englishman's signal, "'she followed him to the yellow door. "'It was quite dark without,' as the two entered the narrow passage between two buildings. A few steps brought them undiscovered to the doorway of the storeroom, where lay the body of Fosh In the distance, toward the temple, they could hear sounds as of a great gathering of wieroos, the peculiar uncanny wailing rising above the dismal flapping of countless wings. "'They have heard of the killing of him who speaks for Luata,' whispered the girl." "'Soon they will spread in all directions, searching for us.' "'And will they find us?' "'As surely as Lua gives light by day,' she replied, "'and when they find us, they will tear us to pieces, "'for only the Wieroos may murder, only they may practice tasad. "'But they will not kill you,' said Bradley. "'You did not slay him.' "'It will make no difference,' she insisted. "'If they find us together,' They will slay us both. Then they won't find us together, announced Bradley decisively. You stay right here. You won't be any worse off than before I came. And I'll get as far as I can and account for as many of the beggars as possible before they get me. Goodbye. You're a mighty decent little girl. I wish that I might have helped you. No! she cried. Do not leave me. I would rather die. I had hoped and hoped to find some way to return to my own country. I wanted to go back to Antak, who must be very lonely without me, but I know that it can never be. It is difficult to kill Hope, though mine is nearly dead. Do not leave me. Antak, Bradley repeated, you loved a man called Antak? Yes, replied the girl. Antak was away, hunting, when the Wieroo caught me. How he must have grieved for me. He also was Kosatalu, twelve moons older than I, and all our lives we had been together. Bradley remained silent. So she loved Antak. He hadn't the heart to tell her that Antak had died and how. At the door of Foshbal storeroom they halted to listen. No sound came from within, and gently Bradley pushed open the door. All was inky darkness as they entered. But presently their eyes became accustomed to the gloom that was partially revealed by the soft starlight without. The Englishman searched and found those things for which he had come. Two robes, two pairs of dead wings, and several lengths of fibre rope. One pair of the wings he adjusted to the girl's shoulders by means of the rope. Then he draped the robe about her, carrying the cowl over her head. He heard her gasp of astonishment when she realized the ingenuity and boldness of his plan. Then he directed her to adjust the other pair of wings and the robe upon him. Working with strong, deft fingers, she soon had the work completed, and the two stepped out upon the roof, to all intent and purpose, genuine wieroos. Besides his pistol, Bradley carried the sword of the slain Wieroo prophet, while the girl was armed with the small blade of the red Wieroo. Side by side they walked slowly across the roofs toward the north edge of the city. Weeros flapped above them, and several times they passed others walking or sitting upon the roofs. From the temple still rose the sounds of commotion, now pierced by occasional shrill screams. The murderers are abroad, whispered the girl thus will another become the tongue of luata it is well for us since it keeps them too busy to give the time for searching for us they think that we cannot escape the city and they know that we cannot leave the island and so do i bradley shook his head if there is any way we will find it he said there is no way replied the girl bradley made no response and in silence they continued until the outer edge of roofs was visible before them. "'We are almost there,' he whispered. The girl felt for his fingers and pressed them. He could feel hers trembling as he returned the pressure. Nor did he relinquish her hand, and thus they came to the edge of the last roof. Here they halted and looked about them. To be seen attempting to descend to the ground below would be to betray the fact that they were not wieroos, Bradley wished that their wings were attached to their bodies by sinew and muscle, rather than by ropes of fibre. A wieroo was flapping far overhead. Two more stood near a door a few yards distant. Standing between these and one of the outer pedestals that supported one of the numerous skulls, Bradley made one end of a piece of rope fast about the pedestal and dropped the other end to the ground outside the city. Then they waited. It was an hour before the coast was entirely clear, and then a moment came when no wieroo was in sight. Now, whispered Bradley, and the girl grasped the rope and slid over the edge of the roof into the darkness below. A moment later Bradley felt two quick pulls upon the rope and immediately followed to the girl's side across a narrow clearing they made their way and into a wood beyond all night they walked following the river upward toward its source and at dawn they took shelter in a thicket beside the stream at no time did they hear the cry of a carnivore and though many startled animals fled as they approached they were not once menaced by a wild beast when bradley expressed surprise at the absence of the fiercest beast that are so numerous upon the mainland of Caprona. The girl explained the reason that is contained in one of their ancient legends. When the wieroos first developed wings upon which they could fly, they found this island devoid of any life other than a few reptiles that live either upon land or in the water, and these only close to the coast. Requiring meat for food, the wieroos carried to the island such animals as they wished for that purpose, They still occasionally bring them, and this, with the natural increase, keeps them provided with flesh. As it will us, suggested Bradley. The first day they remained in hiding, eating only the dried food that Bradley had brought with him from the temple storeroom, and the next night they set out again up the river, continuing steadily on until almost dawn. When they came to low hills where the river wound through a gorge, it was little more than rivulet now the water clear and cold and filled with fish similar to brook trout though much larger not wishing to leave the stream the two waded along its bed to a spot where the gorge widened between perpendicular bluffs to a wooded acre of level land here they stopped for here also the stream ended they had reached its source many cold springs bubbling up from the centre of a little natural amphitheatre in the hills and forming a clear and beautiful pool, overshadowed by trees upon one side, and bounded by the little clearing upon the other. With the coming of the sun they saw they had stumbled upon a place where they might remain hidden from the wieroos for a long time, and also one that they could defend against these winged creatures, since the trees would shield them from an attack from above, and also hamper the movements of the creatures should they attempt to follow them into the wood. For three days they rested here before trying to explore the neighbouring country. On the fourth Bradley stated that he was going to scale the bluffs and learn what lay beyond. He told the girl that she should remain in hiding, but she refused to be left, saying that whatever fate was to be his she intended to share it, so that he was at last forced to permit her to come with him. THROUGH WOODS AT THE SUMMIT OF THE BLUFF THEY MADE THEIR WAY TOWARD THE NORTH, AND HAD GONE BUT A SHORT DISTANCE, WHEN THE WOOD ENDED, AND BEFORE THEM THEY SAW THE WATERS OF THE INLAND SEA, AND DIMLY IN THE DISTANCE THE coveted SHORE. THE BEACH LAY SOME TWO HUNDRED YARDS FROM THE FOOT OF THE HILL ON WHICH THEY STOOD, NOR WAS THERE A TREE NOR ANY OTHER FORM OF SHELTER BETWEEN THEM AND THE WATER AS FAR UP AND DOWN THE COAST AS THEY COULD SEE. Among other plans, Bradley had thought of constructing a covered raft upon which they might drift to the mainland. But as such a contrivance would necessarily be of considerable weight, it must be built in the water of the sea, since they could not hope to move it even a short distance over land. If this wood was only at the edge of the water, he sighed. But it is not, the girl reminded him. And then, let us make the best of it. WE HAVE ESCAPED FROM DEATH FOR A TIME AT LEAST. WE HAVE FOOD AND GOOD WATER, AND PEACE AND EACH OTHER. WHAT MORE COULD WE HAVE UPON THE MAINLAND? BUT I THOUGHT YOU WANTED TO GET BACK TO YOUR OWN COUNTRY, HE EXCLAIMED. SHE CAST HER EYES UPON THE GROUND AND HALF TURNED AWAY. I DO, SHE SAID, YET I AM HAPPY HERE. I COULD BE LITTLE HAPPIER THERE. BRADLEY STOOD IN SILENT THOUGHT. "'We have food and good water, and peace and each other,' he repeated to himself. He turned then and looked at the girl, and it was as though in the days that they had been together this was the first time that he had really seen her. The circumstances that had thrown them together, the dangers through which they had passed, all the weird and horrible surroundings that had formed the background of his knowledge of her had had their effect.' she had been but the companion of an adventure her self-reliance her endurance her loyalty had been only what one man might expect of another and he saw that he had unconsciously assumed an attitude toward her that he might have assumed toward a man yet there had been a difference he recalled now the strange sensation of elation that had thrilled him upon the occasion when the girl had pressed his hand in hers and the depression that had followed her announcement of her love for antac he took a step toward her a fierce yearning to seize her and crush her in his arms swept over him and then there flashed upon the screen of recollection the picture of a stately hall set amidst broad gardens and ancient trees and of a proud old man with beetling brows, an old man who held his head very high, and Bradley shook his head and turned away again. They went back then to their little acre, and the days came and went, and the man fashioned spear and bow and arrows, and hunted with them, that they might have meat, and he made hooks of fishbone and caught fishes with wondrous flies of his own invention. AND THE GIRL GATHERED FRUITS, AND COOKED THE FLESH AND THE FISH, AND MADE BEDS OF BRANCHES AND SOFT GRASSES. SHE CURED THE HIDES OF THE ANIMALS HE KILLED, AND MADE THEM SOFT BY MUCH POUNDING. SHE MADE SANDALS FOR HERSELF AND FOR THE MAN, AND FASHIONED A HIDE AFTER THE MANNER OF THOSE WORN BY THE WARRIORS OF HER TRIBE, AND MADE THE MAN WEAR IT, FOR HIS OWN GARMENTS WERE IN RAGS. SHE WAS ALWAYS THE SAME, SWEET AND KIND AND HELPFUL. But always there was about her manner and expression just a trace of wistfulness, and often she sat and looked at the man when he did not know it. Her brows puckered in thought as though she were trying to fathom and to understand him. In the face of the cliff Bradley scooped a cave from the rotted granite of which the hill was composed, making a shelter for them against the rains. He brought wood for their cook-fire, which they used only in the middle of the day, a time when there was little likelihood of wieroo's being in the air so far from their city. And then he learned to bank it with earth in such a way that the embers held until the following noon without giving off smoke. Always he was planning on reaching the mainland, and never a day passed that he did not go to the top of the hill and look out across the sea toward the dark, distant line that meant, for him, comparative freedom, and, possibly, reunion with his comrades. The girl always went with him, standing at his side, and watching the stern expression on his face, with just a tinge of sadness on her own. "'You are not happy,' she said once. "'I should be over there with my men,' he replied. "'I do not know what may have happened to them. "'I want you to be happy,' she said quite simply. "'But I should be very lonely if you went away and left me here.' He put his hand on her shoulder. "'I would not do that, little girl,' he said gently. "'If you cannot go with me, I shall not go. "'If either of us must go alone, it will be you.' Her face lighted to a wondrous smile. "'Then we shall not be separated,' she said, "'for I shall never leave you as long as we both live.' He looked down into her face for a moment, and then— "'Who was Antak?' he asked. "'My brother,' she replied. "'Why?' "'And then, even less than before, could he tell her. "'It was then that he did something he had never done before.' He put his arms about her and, stooping, kissed her forehead. Until you find Antak, he said, I will be your brother. She drew away. I already have a brother, she said, and I do not want another. End of chapter 4